If you'd follow along, I'm going to read Philippians 3, 4 through 11 to get us going this morning. Philippians 3, 4 through 11. If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul writing. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, as we are just a couple of way, uh, weeks away from uh, this, the time of year that we remember uh, Jesus' uh, suffering and death and resurrection on our behalf. Uh, Father, I, I pray that these words of Paul, that he wants to know Christ, that those same words... Uh, that same desire would be ours and you'd begin to cultivate that afresh and maybe some of us this morning that, that desire has kind of kind of uh, wasted away. Father, that you'd recreate within us that passion to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Father, grip our hearts and our minds with these words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's really the heart of what um, we want you to get over the next three weeks, this Sunday, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, is we're going to focus on these verses here in Philippians 3, 10, and 11, that in a fresh way, our longing, that your longing would be to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Um, so often we sacrifice, it's what Paul says in Second Timothy, he says, so often the church becomes this place where there's a form of godliness, but we've given up the power. Um, and so often we we sacrifice resurrection power for earthly pleasure. I want to read to you as, as we're going to begin this, this process this week as we say, I want to know Christ 
and his resurrection power. What does that mean, and, and how can we experience that resurrection power? The beginning this week is this phrase, participating in his sufferings. Wouldn't you figure we'd start there? Well, that's where, the, that's where it starts. What does that mean? And, 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 and how do we do that? And, and why would we want to do that? That's what we're going to look at today in order that we might know Christ and his power by participating in his sufferings. And ultimately, next week, it's going to be, how is that? It's by becoming like him in his death. And then ultimately, Easter Sunday, this beautiful result that we can attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you want to know Christ this morning and his power? I want to read for you just a wonderful testimony of of a man that wanted that. And I I hope it will get us going this morning. He was a a Muslim imam in Africa. His name is Saeed. And he became a, a Christ follower and began sharing his new faith in his community, which was a completely Muslim community. Neighboring Muslims demanded that he abandon this new religion, but he refused. So the threats began. Saeed had heard that his life was at risk and began to pray about whether or not to abandon his home and escape to a new place. He finally decided to make preparations to leave, but the night before he planned to leave, a group of Muslims surrounded his home and set fire to his thatched roof. The flames began to spread rapidly, and the noise of the animals staying near the house alerted Saeed to what was happening. Saeed and his family were nearly trapped by the flames, but they narrowly escaped and rushed to rescue the animals near the house. Saeed looked up. Half of his roof was gone, and the rest of the house was being enveloped by the flames. He had seconds to get to a safe distance from the burning house. But before he did, he remembered the stories in the Bible of God rescuing his people from trouble. So he prayed, Holy God, I don't have anyone to help and to come, to come and help me now, so please help me. Well, miraculously, within seconds, the fire extinguished itself leaving only half of the roof destroyed and the house still standing. Amazed and in shock, Saeed brought his family back inside and spent the night there. At first light, the neighbors saw the destruction and were sure that Saeed's family died in the fire. But Saeed and his family emerged unharmed, and the neighbors realized in amazement that miraculously the fire had stopped in the middle of a thatched, and if you've ever lived like we have in a, in a remote area like that, a very flammable roof. Um, And when Saeed shared what had happened, how God had spared his family, animals, and home, the community knew that the God of Saeed was able to save them too. And many in his Muslim community became Christ followers after that. It's a true story. In the second century... um, A.D., Tertullian. How many of you have heard of Tertullian? Well, you guys need to get out more, but anyway. He was, (laughs) or read old church history. (laughs) Tertullian was a church father, lived in the second century. Um, And he was the first person in his 
Apologia. It's a, it's a famous work that he wrote in defending Christianity in the Roman Empire. Um, he was the first one who coined the phrase, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, in this apologetic that he wrote. He concluded his apology by likening the struggle of Christians to a man fighting a battle. Christians take no pleasure, he wrote, in being persecuted and enduring trials, but as soldiers of Christ, they must fight for the truth. That's not fighting people. I just want you to understand, we're not fighting people here. This is standing for the truth, for the glory of God. And so in conclusion, addressing these Roman magistrates, he says, crucify us, torture us, condemn us, destroy us. Your injustice is the proof of our innocence. When we are condemned by you, we are acquitted by God. How many of us, in wanting like Saeed, and, and, and in order to experience like Saeed and his family, the miraculous power of God, are we willing, like Paul writes here, I want to know Christ and the power of his erection, but the beginning of that is participating in his sufferings. What does that mean? So we want to look at this morning. What does that mean, participating in his sufferings? Because, honestly, I don't think very many of us have a lot of people trying to burn down our houses, right? Anybody tried to burn down your house this week? I mean, except your kids, maybe. Um, what does it mean, in order to experience to know Christ and experience his power, to, to share in his sufferings, to participate in his sufferings. The second thing then is that we're going to ask is, how do we, in the United States of America, do that? Share in the sufferings of Christ. And finally, just we're going to end by saying, why in the world would we want to do that? Okay, Why would we want to do that? Sharing in the sufferings of Christ Look at, the, look at the phrase there, and, and the answer to, to what does this mean is simply in the words. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. There's two key words in that phrase that are really important for us to get what it means. The first one, participation, is the Greek word koinonia. I think probably a lot of us are familiar with that word, koinonia. And the word can be translated association or fellowship or participation, but the idea of the word is intimate relationship. So think about it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection intimately relating to, okay? Put those words in there. Intimately relating to and the second word is, that's translated here, sufferings. The root of that word is the word that probably a lot of you have heard of, is the word pathos. Familiar with that word, pathos? Just to give you a definition, it says, anything which touches the feelings or excites emotions and passions, especially that which awakens tender emotions such as pity and sorrow and the like, contagious warmth of feeling, action, or expression. That's pathos. It's, it's a, I think often it's a theater kind of word. So to put this phrase, what does it mean 
to want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, it's intimately relating to what moves Christ. The passion of Christ, the emotions of Christ. That's the beginning of what it means to understand the power of Christ. It's, it's being individuals that are um, intimately associated with what moved Christ. So the, the question is, what moved Christ? And, and did what moved Christ, does that move us? In 1 John 2, 5 and 6, John, he stated it really well. He said, by this we know that we are in Jesus. The one who says he abides in Jesus ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If we want to know the power of Christ, we have to walk and live as Christ did. And so the point is, does Christ's life is his life reflected in my life? Did, did what move him, does it move me? And it's this passion, it's a very passionate expression. It's this pathos. What Christ was passionate about, are we passionate about that? And, and what I'm going to go through is just some emotions of Christ. And as we go through these emotions of Christ in the Gospels, I want us to be asking, are these our emotions? Is this what moves us? If we want to know Christ and his, and his power, then what he was passionate about is what we must be passionate about. The first is in Mark chapter 3. We're going to look at about a half dozen verses here. If you want to turn with me, Mark chapter 3 is the first one. What was Christ passionate about? What were his passions Mark chapter 3, verse 1 says, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of the people were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath, which was, according to the religious leaders, a no-no. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill a life? But they remained silent. And in verse 5, we see Jesus' passion. As he says, what should be a, an obvious answer? What is to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? And they remain silent. Because they're so stuck in their legalistic way of thinking. Jesus, it says in verse 5, looked around at them in anger. Deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. What angers us? What distresses us? Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Luke 10, 21. As Jesus sent his disciples out to go to the villages that he was going to go and, and go to, they return and, 
and in verse, um, and they and they just they say, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. In Luke ten seventeen and verse twenty one, Jesus it says, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Um, What gave Jesus joy was, you know, these, these baby followers of him, grown men, but like baby followers of him, excited about what he was doing and what God was doing, the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of people they ministered to, and it just filled him with joy. What fills us with joy? What excites us? John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money within the temple court. Verse 15, so he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. What makes us zealous? What are you zealous about? What gets you stirred up or or jealous or zealous? So the same things that made Jesus zealous. Luke 22 couple of more. Luke 22. Starting in verse 39, as Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, he went as usual to the Mount of Olives. His disciples followed him, and on reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt down and prayed, Father, If you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see, this is the pathos of Jesus in deep anguish as he's anticipating the cross, not just the agony of the cross, but the, the anguish of bearing our sins on the cross. Do the, does the lostness of people around us, the people that are without Christ and facing eternity, does that put us in agony, in anguish? One more, Matthew 9.36. As Jesus in 35 was going throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. In verse 36 it says, when he saw the crowds, he had 
compassion on them. And this is one of my favorite words in the, in the Greek language. It, it, the, uh, one of it's, the, I love the sound of it. It's splonknizomai. You like that? It's, it's kind of has a ring, a pathos to it. Splonknizomai. But what I love about it, it's the, the literal translation of the word is guts, innards. And what it's saying is when Jesus saw the people, like here it says he saw them like, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, it's like it turned his insides out. He was just ripped on the inside. When it says he was, he felt compassion, he was moved, it just means he was just like wrenched as he saw these harassed and hurting and broken people. His compassion, the pathos of Jesus. Do you have that same pathos? <laughs> Do we have that same, the, the, the things that moved Jesus, what grieved him and what angered him and what, what gave him joy and what caused him zeal and jealousy and agony and compassion? Do we participate in those same emotions, that same pathos? Do I have the emotions of Jesus? Does what moved him, does that move me? Some of the things that make us upset are pretty silly, aren't they? <laughs> the things that we get excited about, the things that we get jealous about, the things that anger us and grieve us and cause us agony, they're, so much of the time they're, they're such passing, unimportant things. Does what move Jesus move us? So the question then is, but then how do we share in those sufferings? How do we participate in, in, his, in, the, in his pathos? Um, a couple of verses, and a couple of, the first one is imitating his example. In, in Ephesians, um, Paul says it really well. In Ephesians 5, 1, he says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, imitating Jesus' example. These verses that I read, it's, it's reading his life story, <laughs> And seeing how he loved and, and seeing what angered him and seeing what grieved him and, and letting his life change our lives. Letting his example overflow into our lives and, and the same things that moved him move us. But in doing that, it's, if you turn to Matthew 25, it's serving others in need as if we were serving him. Matthew 25, I think this is a familiar, but how do we share in the sufferings of Christ? How do we participate in his passion? How do we share? It's by serving others as if we were serving him. Matthew 25 It's a parable that Jesus told. He said, The king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, because when you saw I was hungry, it grieved you. I was thirsty, and it just, oh, it just drew out your compassion, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you couldn't stand it, so you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, and they'll say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will say, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So how do we share in the sufferings of Christ? It's by sharing in the sufferings of others. How, how can we be moved by the things that move Jesus? It's by asking him to open our eyes to the things that moved him, to the, to the hurting and the hungry and the thirsty and those who are in prison and those who are sick and those who are without and those things moving us as they move Jesus and serving them. Do I imitate Jesus in this way? Or do we get upset because does what anger us is somebody ran into our car or somebody um, stole something that was ours? Are we angered because of those who don't have cars? Are we grieved because of those who don't have as, as opposed to being angered and grieved because of what we lose? Are we moved? Are we angered? Are we grieved by what moves Jesus as we look at those in need and hurting around us? Well, why should we share in Jesus' sufferings in this way? That's really the biggest question because we're, we're such creatures of comfort, aren't we? Uh, it's much easier to get angered about what affects our comfort and pleasure than angered about others without comfort and pleasure. Why would we want to share in the sufferings of others as we share in the sufferings with G of Jesus? Why would we want to be angered and, and grieved and, and, and without on behalf of others if we could stay comfortable ourselves? Um, well, the context is in Philippians chapter 3, the, the verses that I read leading up to Philippians 3.10, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the, the reason why he wanted so to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, being willing to share in his sufferings, is because of what he says in verse 7. He says, whatever was gained to me, whatever was gained to me that I thought was important to me or thought that was important to my flesh, he said, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them garbage 
for the sake of Christ. Why share in his sufferings? Because he's so valuable. That's what Paul sees. He says, everything else, everything else that I see is so important that gives me such happiness, that gives me such comfort, that gives me such pleasure, that gives me such importance or reputation. He says, all of that is like garbage when I realize Christ and who he is and his value. He says, I'm willing to lose everything because in Christ is my righteousness. And that's the wording he uses here. In Christ is my righteousness. In Christ is my everything. And, and therefore, I'm willing to lose everything in the order that I might gain Christ. And so I'm willing to suffer anything in order to avoid losing Christ. I want to read you one more thing here in this book. The guys who wrote this book said that they asked the men and women in these, this, this book is called Miraculous Movements, and it's the testimonies of Muslims that have come to Christ in Muslim communities and what they've experienced as a result of it, sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And so they asked the men and the women why they remain in that dangerous region, putting their lives at risk by continuing to frequent their mosques to find people of peace facilitating hundreds of illegal underground assemblies of Christians when they could easily move to a safer place and live openly for Christ. And here's what they said. We could live, we could leave the Muslim community and live comfortably amidst other Christians. But we would not be fulfilling the Great Commission if we did that. By putting our lives at risk, we can reach out to our fellow Muslims. And this is an unfinished task. There are more than two billion Muslims who need to hear the gospel, but more important, we have a command from God. We know that we put our lives in danger, but we accept that for the sake of obeying the command of God, we pursue this vision. Mankind is created in God's image, and we are very precious in God's eyes. The soul of one man is very precious to him. And if by putting our lives in danger, we can rescue one soul made in his image, then it is worth that cost. Participating in his pathos. Everything else compared to knowing Christ and sharing him with others, garbage. Is Jesus that valuable to us? Do we... It's so easy in the United States of America for us to, to show up because there's no threat for us to be here this morning together. I don't know if you picked up on the wording in that paragraph, but hundreds of illegal gatherings because it's against the law in these countries to be a Christian. And so at the risk of their lives, facilitating hundreds of illegal gatherings of Christians because they're so convinced of the value of Jesus, that they're willing to put their own lives at risk, participating in his pathos in order that another and another and another might know Christ. Is, this, is Jesus this valuable to us? There's an old hymn that says this. It says, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. 
the consecrated cross I'll bear till he shall set me free and then go home to my crown to wear for there's a crown for me. Upon the crystal pavement down at Jesus' pierced feet with joy I'll cast my golden crown and his dear name repeat. The value of Jesus. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I, I just want us to, to get this morning as we start this, these three Sundays, next one being a really key one, becoming like him in his death. There, there's no way I think that we can really understand what I'm talking about this morning, the value of Jesus and the willingness to participate in his sufferings in what moves him unless we understand what it means to become like him in his death, to, that what he accomplished on the cross, he accomplished for us, and that changes us and makes us these people that are willing to be moved by what moved him, to want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Do you want to know that this morning? Do we want to know that, the power of his resurrection? Uh, you know, we look around the world and... Um, and there's, there's churches that are so full of power. One, one of them is the church in China. I mean, 100 million followers of Jesus, like, like these brothers and sisters here in Africa, willing to give their lives that one soul might know Jesus. The, the church in China is similar. It's powerful. Why is it powerful? It's, it's because they were willing to participate in his pathos, share in his sufferings. And the example is just three testimonies. Megan gave Cindy and I, didn't give it to us. She loaned this to us. <laughs> um, it's, it's the testimonies, the last words and letters from missionaries who were killed in the 1900 Boxer Rebellion in China. Um, and Cindy and I, along with... Well, Daniel was born. There were missionaries with this mission organization in the Philippines among Muslims. All of these missionaries in this, this book were slaughtered by the boxers in 1900 uh, in China. And these are their last words, last letters that they wrote anticipating that they would soon be killed. Uh, I'm just going to read you three little excerpts here. As we ask ourselves, how bad do I want to know Christ and his power? How valuable is Christ to me? I for us in the United States of America, it, it's, it's not going to be like these people, probably. You know, the anticipation of death, but it could be the anticipation of really being moved by what moves Jesus. Instead of being angered by, you know, somebody's, you know, Stealing my favorite pen can be angered by the hardness of heart, you know, being grieved and, and, and moved by compassion and, and, and rejoicing in what, what moves Jesus. It could be going to Basque Country, the only unreached people group in Europe. And we've been there, and on the outside, it's beautiful, it's absolutely gorgeous, it's very similar to, to the Pacific Northwest. And, and to a great degree, it's one of the wealthiest places in Europe, and yet it's a place of spiritual darkness. And to go there might mean participating in the sufferings of Jesus, to really want to be a part of seeing the last unreached people group in Europe come to know Jesus. Do you want to, do you want to be a part of that? 
It means willing to participate in his sufferings. By this, her name, this gal's name is Mrs. Elizabeth G. Atwater. She said, Dear ones, I long for a sight of your dear faces, but I fear we shall not meet on earth. I have loved you all so much. And no, you will not forget the one who lies in China. There never were sisters and brothers like mine. I am preparing for the end very quietly and calmly. The Lord is wonderfully near and he will not fail me. I was very restless and excited when there seemed a chance, chance of life, but God has taken away that feeling, and now I just pray for grace to meet the terrible end bravely. The pain will soon be over, and oh, the sweetness of the welcome above. Mr. David Barrett, our blood may be as true cement for the foundation and God's kingdom will increase over this land. Extermination is but exaltation. God guide and bless us. Peace, perfect peace, brother. We may meet in the glory, we may meet in the glory in a few hours or days. A nearer way to go than Lu Chen. They are good men. God preserve them to the coming church whose baptism is of fire and blood. My presence cannot aid in the least now. Let us be true. Till death. And then one more, Miss Susan Bird. Last night, we were almost ready to start for the hills, thinking at one chance for life, but the dangers from the boxers and robbers and perils of all kinds are so great, what could we do? If you never see me again, remember, I am not sorry I came to China. Whether I have saved anyone or not, he knows, but it has been for him, and we go to him. Darling ones, goodbye. And the result of these missionaries and many Chinese believers who were willing to participate in his sufferings, the Chinese church today is one of the most powerful churches alive because they wanted to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. They were willing to be moved by what moved Jesus. Do we want that same resurrection power? Just three questions before I pray. How valuable is Jesus to you? As valuable as Paul, everything else, garbage? Number two, does what matters to him matter to me? Does what moves him move me? What grieved him? What angered him? What gave him joy? And third, am I therefore living as Jesus lived. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see Jesus. Father, to see his life, to see his death, to see his resurrection, and, be, and to be so moved by him, to, to so fall in love with him, that, Father, what moved him would move us, and we would know him and his power. And our lives and our communities would be different. Our church would be different as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.